Welcome to the Science of Psychotherapy podcast with your hosts, Richard Hill and Matthew Darlitz. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Science of Psychotherapy. I'm Matthew Darlitz, Editor-in-Chief of the Science of Psychotherapy and as always here with Richard Hill. Yes, I am here, Matt, and uh, uh, come back from just such a, a wonderful tour of Europe in yeah. November and December, where we we talked about the science of psychotherapy a lot and uh, signed quite a few books, which is quite nice. That was really fabulous, and here we are, twenty twenty three. Um, happy New Year to everybody, uh, and to you. <laughs> We haven't seen each other much. That's right. Um, we've got the January edition of the magazine, and there's something special in the magazine that we're starting to celebrate a, a wonderful achievement of some friends of ours. And what has happened is that the Milton Erickson, the Milton H. Erickson collected works are being upgraded, they're being uh, uh, added to and improved and being made electronically available. So this makes them a lot more accessible. We're reproducing my um, reviews of the book, which I did over a lengthy period of time, over four or five years, once every quarter. We're talking today to two of the three editors. And sadly, one of the editors has left us. And that, of course, is my mentor and great friend, Ernest Rossi. But we have, as the other editors that were the editors of the 16 volumes and now the 16 volume upgrades, uh, Catherine Rossi and Roxana Erickson-Klein. Now, I love these ladies. They're both absolutely wonderful and gorgeous, but they're also incredible professionals. Roxana is the seventh of eight children of Milton H. Erickson, so she's a daughter of Erickson herself, uh, began her work and her life experience and work experience in the health area as a registered nurse and has continued that work of talking about her her father and also continuing to improve an understanding of what the work is all about. And she's published regularly in books and chapters, uh, articles and magazines. So she's just a wonderful joy. And of course, Catherine Rossi, who's, uh, you know, this just this wonderful person married to Ernest Rossi, but she began her work uh, independently. She got a, a clinical psychology PhD in 1990. She's gone on to do lots of work uh, in developing uh, psychological ideas. Brief therapy has been one area she's done a lot of work in. Uh, met Ernie and became introduced to this area. They eventually married, which was just wonderful. And they worked together all the years. And she, of course, continues that work and she does extraordinary work people have seen some of her her things in yoga in our our magazine relating yoga to the uh, the psychosocial genomic experience and the mental health experience so these who we're talking to today Fantastic. And there is a wealth of information in this library, which I, you, Richard, you have on your bookshelf, of course, because you've you've been through it all. I, I I don't. So I am looking forward to this conversation and and hopefully we'll have a few more of them and we can get into some uh, some of the different volumes from this library. So let's jump in and uh, have a conversation with Catherine and Roxana. Hello, Catherine and Roxana. Welcome to the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. It's so good to see the both of you. Great to see you too, Matt and Richard. Yeah, and I'm absolutely delighted to be here. 
Well, well, it is a it is a wonderful thing, and and we do catch up with each with each other on a number of occasions. Uh, uh, Matt, Catherine, and, and Roxana and Dad Short and Logger Sugarman have been working on a, a book chapter, which is which is coming out soon in Rutledge. So that was very exciting. Um, what you've done, Catherine and Roxana, is over a long period of time you have. Not reworked. You've 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 refreshed and and done wonderful things with behind me those brown volumes, the sixteen volumes of the Milton H. Erickson collected works. We are celebrating that now, but and we're going to be putting the reviews that I did uh, over a six year period, sort of gradually working through each of the volumes, and we're going to reproduce those in the magazine. But we wanted to talk to to you guys about these books, about Ericsson, about Rossi, why it matters. Why should anyone bother reading these 16 volumes? Those sorts of things. But, of course, we think it's very important. So how about um, uh, just as an introduction, maybe start with you, Catherine, uh, a little bit of what you think we need to hear about and and, uh, Roxana following up there, and then we'll see where it goes. Absolutely. Well, When I got involved in the project of getting the collected works out again, my question was, is this going to be real? Is this going to be good? I don't want to do anything quaint or nostalgic. And everybody assured me, no, 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 no. This is alive in the moment. And it really is that when you consider how to think, this is not something that we're given privy to very often. And so we're we're left with the, our own ways of going about and working through things. And yet, when you look at these cases within the 16 volumes, I every single one of them opens up my mind of a different way to think, a different way to experience. And um, that that going to Erickson, who was constantly experimenting, you know, that's what he did all the time, constantly experimenting. I wonder about this. I wonder about that. And then Ernest came along and he wanted to understand. And so throughout the course of these books, you can pick them up, you know, read a chapter, put it down, come to the next one. But but Ernie is, is he really wants to understand why you're doing what you're doing when you're doing it, and uh, and also f- from vast perspectives. And so the privilege of being a professional, as we all are, and yet to have somebody that can help to expand our thinking, that's huge. Yeah, it, it's an amazing thing. I mean, the, those the, the, the several Ericksonian phrases which constantly reappear in my discussions of that one, that every uh, therapy is a field experiment uh, mm-hmm. and um, not a reproduction. Uh, uh, but there was actually something interesting we were hearing yesterday, Scott Miller, I was listening to his talking to his sister, uh, practice. We talk about uh, therapeutic practice. Uh, he says, that's actually what you do outside of therapy. What you do during therapy is therapy performance, therapy action there's it's it's an an unexpected improvised experience but i'm just chattering away about what i've learned about how i've learned to think differently and incorporate my own types of thinking into things so so roxana i think i mean we're kind of going back to uh, even closer to the source than, than ernie because your name is roxana erickson and you have married and you're client so you are actually erickson's daughter 
in case anybody didn't uh, didn't pick this up. You, you must have just a wonderful understanding of this. And I know you've worked so hard over the years in bringing this information. I'm just going to let you go. Uh, well, un- undo the leash and, and away you go. So, so of course, I entered into the Ericksonian realm as an infant, as a child, and grew over the years without the perspective of how unique my father's approaches to living and to teaching and to um, to working were. And so I entered into this project in something of a different way than Catherine, who entered in by choice. I entered from an appreciation for the importance of primary works. And of course, by the time I was an adult, I was fully aware of the importance of going to the source of the information, to going to the cutting edge of what is known, and to explore it from the closest to the font of information that you possibly could. So, so my choice really was to make these primary works available to a broader, to preserve them and make the outreach to a broader audience. So that's what really motivated me. But as a professional and as an adult now, um, I have a much richer and much deeper appreciation for the manner in which the wealth of information, particularly between Ernest Rossi and my dad, Mountain Erickson, the way the two of them were able to look at, well, he just worked with a client and evoked some fantastic response. And then Ernest was right there saying, how did you do that? What does it mean? Can you explain that? Since my dad is known for his indirect and unique ways of of working, it was very difficult to understand. You can read his case reports and get all confused. Well, why did it go in that direction? What was he trying to do? So so the average um, first pass over looking at the case reports Reports are very confusing. But when you go back and reread with Ernie's inquiry and with his insatiable curiosity, and then to me, the most exciting part is that one of the things that Erickson taught was. This is not the gospel. The word does not stop here. He wanted individual, one of his basic tenets, he wanted individuals to learn about themselves, what, and then to go beyond his work. And Ernest was younger 
and interested, educated in a different way, and was able to carry my father's work forward in a way really that no one else has been able to. Yes, I, I, it, and it was just wonderful. You know, pardon me, Matt, sort of taking over, but I guess no, this, right. this is my sort of space. It is. Uh, and, and, and just listening to that and talking about Ernie, because, of course, there's these wonderful annotations from Ernie throughout the book. And, and I know there were several occasions when uh, he would go away, he would take the case study away, uh, figure out and work out the, the frameworks and where Ericsson went. He would come back and report that back to, to uh, Ericsson. And uh, when he said, is that what you were doing? And Ericsson would just agree. Says, yes. Uh, because, of course, he wasn't working like a, a technician. He was no. working as a skillful um, utiliser of his, his, well, his well, qualities. It sounds like he wasn't working from a theoretical perspective first. He was working intuitively and pragmatically. And then, of course, you know, Ernest came and articulated. Yeah, he articulated beautifully. But there was a wonderful experience. Uh, Catherine, if if you could, if you could remember to to share a bit more about it when, pardon me, am I right in saying it's volume three, but where Ernie asks, um, uh, can can you I have an open mind. Yes, can you can you do something? Can you give give me a hypnosis or do something that will that will make me a better therapist that will open my mind? And it went in a direction that Ernie was absolutely uh, not expecting. Uh, can can, oh, can you remember the bit of that story? Oh, uh, totally. Well, you know what? Uh, I have to say something a little bit before of yeah. how it is that that um, Milton and Ernie work together. Ernie would drive from Los Angeles to Phoenix um, for a couple of days or one week out of the month. And he'd sit in sessions with Erickson and he would record these. Then he would have them transcribed. And then he'd be thinking about these cases. And when he came back the following month, he had a lot of questions. And so the amount of care that went into it was really huge. Now on volume three, I mean, I guess we can dance around with the different volumes. Volume three is called Opening the Mind. And it just so happened that the last time that Ernie was with Milton, it wasn't expected that Milton would die, right? And so uh, there was, they were just having a session and, um, and uh, Milton's personal physician, Marion Moore, was there. And so Marion Moore was, uh, he, he liked microphones and cameras and things like that. And there must have been about five microphones on Ericsson to get the good audio. And so it was a videotape of Ernie asking, how do I have an open mind? And... Um, because it was the last time it just sat you know like in the archives I was sent a DVD of lots of these things and so I said you know I'm going to start with the last one and that's how it got to you know I transcribed it and um and in it that uh, it's a total lesson on on doing therapy Ernie thought he was just a colleague but they were dovetailing back and forth with uh, uh, with this joint therapy, be, you know, between him and taking him all kinds of places. 
ping-ponging him all over the place into different consciousnesses. And uh, and he, uh, uh, I mean, I've, I, I, te- I used to tease her and I said, well, it certainly worked because you've always had an open mind. But didn't they start talking in imagery? It was What was it, uh, uh, seagulls? Oh, uh, it was, uh, when they started off, it was uh, about, you know, when you're lying out uh, in a chair and you're getting a tan and doesn't that feel good? You know, so, and, and that was how Erickson often did things that seemingly off the wall of trying to stimulate, of going from the conscious mind to welcoming the unconscious mind. And, you know, to, uh, there's so many words that are used for it, you know, to destabilize, but it's, it's basically to open up the door for what you don't know to come forward, even though you have a direction, in this case, open mind well that that segues beautifully to i'm sure that some things you want to say there roxana about just this way of ericksonian work of uh, uh of, of the process well so many people equate erickson with an indirect approach and it is true that it was hard to get a straight logical answer out of him now the the fallacy is he did frequently give direct directives when he was working, um, and he occasionally gave direct answers that you could squeeze him into it. But what he was known for really is this indirect way of working, but it really goes beyond simple indirect suggestion. What he was really doing was turning the subject's attention into their own internal experiences and evoking that creative search and discovery within the individual that that wasn't a suggestion at all. It was a really a, a process of exploration to what resources do you have inside that are going to assist you in your own process of growth and development? Yes, it's it's so interesting, and uh, of course, I've I'm a, sort of an outcome of of Rossi, so therefore my experience with Ericsson is is through what was already embedded in in Ernest Rossi. Um, but I know that one of the things that that we worked with using the the technique, I suppose technique if we, if we like to call it that, but the 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 approach uh, that we call mirroring hands. What began to happen, and what I've learned over the years, and then with my own practice of it, is that that actually the most appropriate suggestion tends uh, can emerge from the client themselves in their own words. Uh, and quite often they're very surprised about it. And, and I also agree that sometimes I find myself being directive because that's what the client asks for. They they basically sort of say, you know, I need you to tell me something. So of course you're going to tell them something. So indirect doesn't mean you don't direct, quite quite so. But I'm fascinated the number of times people will say something, oh, it feels like uh, I want to be so-and-so and so-and-so. And it's just then going, well, yes, I think that's wonderful. 
we follow that um, that emergence, and you hear that and see that in the various uh, the copious numbers of papers and case examples. So, when people are working with these case examples, you've given us some insight already, Roxana. Is is read it, and if you don't sort of immediately gel with it, don't worry. Go back, have a look again. You know, it's like getting into the the theme and the and the, the context of it. What else might we need to um, might be useful for us to? to have in mind or have in the openness, and also, uh, 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 Catherine, you've talked about openness of mind, Uh, Mm -hmm. just something else as we're looking at these papers and perhaps that we can transfer almost immediately into our therapeutic practice now. There's a trust that you follow. And I want to give a little case example uh, that I was reading about in experiencing hypnosis about a woman who... Uh, was blind since the age of two. And she came to Erickson because she wanted to remember the face of her mother. And uh, when you think about somebody coming in to see you that's blind, that wants to remember a face, and they're an adult now, um, you know, how do you go about doing that? And that's when you find Erickson's principles really come alive, that that in the way that he thought it was about what do you really want or what does a person like you really want? And he came from the point of view in this particular case is that every woman wants to meet a stranger at some point, you know, and of course, meet a stranger, fall in love. And he um, uh, and he used the, uh, the 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 body mind principles in order to have her do hand levitations, and so he worked with her in a way that she could receive it, which is that when you can't see, you've got to use other senses. It's this masterful case that that on the surface. It would seem like so perplexing. Where would you go with this? What would you do with this? But he would go to the essence of what he thought that person was and what they actually wanted and what was universal in wanting it. And it's it's under this is, I suppose, a lot to do with our science of psychotherapy uh, approach of um, there's a lot of technical knowledge that we put out there, but what it does is it gives you an insight into a deeper insight into who the human being is. I, I, mm-hmm. I was saying at a conference the other day, I said, why do you learn this stuff? And everybody sort of went, oh, I don't know. And I said, well, if you have uh, two people that you're you're talking to, one is a friend and you're at a party, one is a friend and one is someone you've just met, um, your friend has these cues that you're used to, that you understand, that you appreciate about when they've had enough and they they want to go. And so you see that cue and you say to your friend, yeah, we can go now. And they go, oh, good, yes. And off you go. Whereas to the person that you don't know and you don't understand their their particular frameworks and, 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 and constructions, they give a few cues and you say, oh, do you want to go now? They say, what are you talking about? Why are you telling me to go? And of course, you can create a, a, an enactment. You can create a, a, a rupture in the relationship. And so that aspect of uh, constant pursuance and investigation and exploration and experiment, as we've just been saying, with what it is to be human and what it is to be a different human is is something that these volumes just bring out unbelievably 
unbelievably. You you read one volume and you read 20 papers. You've read 20 investigations into human beingness. Um, Roxy, how, how am I going there in, in, in yeah, those thoughts? One of the things is that the papers that are included in this series, some of them were written in the 1920s and the 1930s, and he kept on throughout his career exploring and developing and adding on and um, building in really not a real logical sequential order, but he'd learn something and then he'd expand, and he'd learn and then expand. So one of the privileges is both Ernest and my dad were geniuses in their own way. So watching that growth process by as they sought to better understand human nature and to create effective psychotherapeutic approaches and to understand the nature of the individual, just watching that develop and emerge or reading about how that emerged, which is never discussed in a logical sequential but it becomes an experience for the reader. And for Catherine and I, it becomes a growth experience. And even as you said, you first read a case and you think, well, that doesn't make much sense. And then you go on and read something else and just let it set. That illustrates one of the essential principles of this work is that it really takes time. The individual grows, develops, there is an incubation phase, and then there is a natural growth that occurs. You come back, you look at it again. Wow, I'm understanding in a way that I didn't understand before. And so these works really elicit the growth from the readers. Yes, and that the four-stage cycle, of course, we're talking about there. And in and next month, we'll have the review of the first volume. This month, I've just put the over, overview. But I've just got some of the words here uh, sort of in, in the, the, the many notes and, and bits and pieces and everything, you know, in the volume. Uh, in 1923, Milton H. Erickson was an undergraduate student at the University of Wisconsin. His supervising professor was Clark L. Hull, uh, with whom Erickson found a number of fundamental disagreements, most notably Erickson's ideas that the healing effects of psychotherapy and especially therapeutic hypnosis did was not in the directions of the therapist, but in the inner processes, processes or processes made possible by the client themselves. Of course, this is that early that early insight, his own prescience to his own work. And I think this this concept of prescience is important, but also Matt, I'm I'm just doing too much. Surely you, <laughs> you must have a question by now. I'm I'm so sorry. Okay. I I'm 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 not in the, the same set as all of you who have been immersed in this for so many years. So coming at all of this, these huge volumes from these remarkable men, and then you guys doing, you know, sort of adding another layer on it as well, it could seem a little overwhelming. 
you know, we're, we're talking about having an incredible amount of intuition and creativity combined with a great scientific insight into what's happening. Now, for me, the average clinical therapist, uh, what's the best way to approach all of this if I'm coming at it sort of fresh? An open mind, Matt. An open mind. Okay, good answer. You know, but also in, in knowing that um, there isn't a specific answer. You know, it's as Roxy says, it's not necessarily in a logical format. It's not a protocol. Mm. And so when you want to grow your own mind and uh, and to develop the different levels of your own consciousness, particularly as it relates to being a psychotherapist, this is ideal. And you can even, instead of reading it from page one to page whatever, you could pick up the volume and say, well, you know, I think I'll start on page 179 today. That um, that if you approach it of, okay, this is the logic, I'm going to learn these skills, I'm going to learn these methods, um, you're missing the essence. Even though there's tons of directions of how you would deal with a handshake induction, for instance, or catalepsies or this. So when you want to learn specific things, they're there. But that's just a portion of it. When mm. you can find that you're that something inside of you is being stimulated to be you, mm. not to be Erickson, not to be Rossi. But to be you, and that to me is the point of these volumes. Do you think so too, Roxy? Yeah, absolutely. It is to grow the individual in your own path of discovery. And I want to give a little example. My dad's office was in our home. And so our living room was the waiting room. And we we had, I guess it was a somewhat rigid protocol that everything had to be tidy. The magazines had to be stacked and no toys on the floor. And we had to be respectfully quiet. Other series of rules. Those That was the most rigid aspect of our upbringing, (laughs) be respectful of the privacy and the individuals who enter into this waiting room. And so we had several stacks of magazines, National Geographic, Life, Scientific American, um, some civil rights magazines, and they had to be stacked up with the current one on top. Um, and we would leaf through them. And I'm, and we're a well educated family also. <laughs> and, and it came to my attention Scientific American is actually lowered in sophistication over the decades. But in those years, it was really challenging to read. And I remember one time I was like, why do we have a scientific American? There's nothing in here that even an educated person can understand. It's only for the specialists in science. You know, why are we taking up the space at the end of the coffee table for a stack of scientific American? <laughs> and, I, and I threw that question out to my dad. And he just looked at me and he said, well, 
how do you know that? And I explained it, well, I know it because I believe through every issue. (laughs) 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 Do you ever pause and look at the charts? And I'm like, well, yes, I do. And that's what gives me the confidence that they're, you know, too difficult to understand. And then he, in a very subtle way, started talking about osmosis. And, you know, as a child, I wasn't a student. I was, you know, I was one of his children. Finally, I, you know, directly. So you're telling me that information and wisdom and that knowledge is going to soak in by osmosis? And he just nodded his head. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, okay. I hadn't thought about it that way. But the, the way of approaching a problem, the way of answering a question, the you know, the rationale, there was nothing haphazard. It was all individual, it was all creative, it was all going on the margins of what we really don't know and of finding ourselves comfortable with that sensation of, I don't know, I don't know, but I'm open to learn. Yeah, yeah. And I just hear this wonderful thing there, Roxy, where where um, uh, Erickson, and as I was thinking, as, you, as you're doing, you're saying, you know, no one can, un- you know, I don't understand what's in these magazines. And uh, I, I guess Erickson, I hope, you know, I'm, I'm somewhere in the same framework. He's saying, wow, you know that you don't know, step one. So, uh, so you you have that gives you a grasp of the scope of your knowledge, and and uh, uh, you know I found with me when I was doing it, Matt, uh, just mm. just in answering the third one, uh, I started with uh, uh, the February Man, uh, the ninth volume, because yeah. uh, it's just this this long uh, extraordinary case study. So I did that, but then I was tasked to to review each volume, um, and it, I, it's a wonderful thing when you're an apprentice because you know you're. Your 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 uh, your, your mentor says, "I'd like you to review each volume of Ericsson once every four months uh, for the next uh, for the sixteen volumes for the next six years." And you just go, "Yeah, sure." Uh, <laughs> and I go, "But uh, but I called it my week with Ericsson." So that's another thing to do: is you read a volume uh, over a period of time, and then you take a pause. And you and I would spend uh, then a bit of time writing about it, and which is always that reflection is terribly important. Which, of course, you know, was a review, so I was motivated to do so. But we should do this with all our stuff. Uh, in fact, I'm doing a talk in 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 a little while for a Canadian uh, counselling group on how to make research human. Because they said, you know, can you teach us how to understand research? And I thought, you know, <laughs> no. Uh, but how to, you know, give it a humanity. So so that I think, mm. you know, there's three pretty interesting answers there for you, Matt. It was a great question. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I love the fact that Milton was so well, widely read uh, in, in the sciences. And I think that's, uh, you know, I, I love reading all sorts of things. And I think it's important for therapists to be widely read and to to understand uh, things about our humanity that aren't directly related maybe to therapy, but to poetry and history and also all manner of things. Do you notice that the four of us 
we have this wonderful conversation and we're just fascinated with what everybody has to say. And there's no competition. This is how it was for Ernie and Milton, just like what we're doing here of wanting to come and to learn. So I want to compliment everybody for just being who you are. It's a that's actually a really it's a really interesting comment. I uh, uh, I, I'm actually a uh, I argue that critical reasoning was one of the great errors of the Greeks. That actually it's this this con- creative constructionism, this this taking something, moving further, even though what you might do is disagree which is fine, or, or have some criticism, but saying, oh, from that criticism I've just made, what can we create? Where can we go? And this was the exciting thing and all the stuff we've written. And and and, and when you were saying before that uh, uh, Ernie would go with Ericsson, would record things, would transcribe them, would study them, would come back. Of course, that's, that's how we wrote the Mirroring Hands, the Practitioner's Guide to Mirroring Hands. We talk all day. I'd transcribe at night. And the funny thing was the house that, that I was staying in, which which you you had organised for me, was sort of in abeyance. It didn't have any um, uh, television or or internet or anything. So I'd go to bed at 8.30 you know, and uh, I'd wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning with this wonderful explosion of ideas and things which I would write down and, uh, and we would examine the next day. And it was really a compressed experience of what Ernie went through. I mean, you know, I'm so much just a part of his family and a part of yours because that's what we did with the book chapter. And, uh, Matt, that's what we did mm. with our book. We, yeah, we wrote absolutely. stuff, we shared it, we, we engaged. Con- mm. Creatively constructing and, and curiously wondering where else we can go. To make we, the world a better place. <laughs> to make the world a better place, yeah, because right. it, right. it, it could do with it. But we kind of are running, you know, we, we have to wrap up a little bit now. I, I want to talk, you know, we all want to talk again. So, but we'll do some more a little later on in a few more volumes. Uh, just one thing I want to say is that the volumes are coming out in, you know, one by one. We're, the, I think you've got the fifth one out. And so they will come. So you're not confronted, which is handy, Matt. You're not actually mm-hmm. confronted. Mm-hmm. Oh God, which one will I choose? So you, you, there's a little bit of assistance there. So maybe, maybe in the future we can, um, we can do a show and just, Talk about a particular volume and drill down into that. Maybe yeah, we'll find that. find something that that we really want to really want to do. Mm. But but for now, what? How will we wrap this up? What a uh, uh, Roxana, are there some things? I know you sort of prepared some bits and pieces. Have we covered anywhere near of of what you wanted to put. Is there some stuff that we've uh, you want to add? Well, there is a couple of comments I want to make. And, you know, as was pointed out earlier, there is this vast expanse of process of learning. And it seems like everywhere you go, there is, oh, deeper levels and deeper levels. So even though you read it the first time, and then read it again, you realized, oh, I'm at a different place now than I was initially. But from my perspective, as Erickson's daughter, and one of my personal goals is to bring forth primary works, I want to make a statement that his, over his career, which he was born in 1901, he died in 1980, and his professional career was from the 1920s to 1980 because he worked essentially 
until just before he died, that there were certain things he was striving for. And one of the things was the concept of turning your attention inward, trusting your unconscious mind, and recognizing that the, the, the guiding forces for you as an individual are to be found inside. So when you look at the, what he did with hypnotherapy, he made some major changes in the way hypnosis is practiced and accepted on a professional level. But he also made some major changes in the, his contributions to psychotherapy. That, so as you appreciate the span of his contributions, they're there. And that's just, to me, that's one point that I want to make. And the most important thing is learning to trust your internal resources and to really appreciate that others can carry the torch beyond where you were. And that's what he and Ernie did together. And that's what Catherine and I are doing to carry the work of of Erickson and Ernest Rossi, we're carrying it forward. And we're hopeful that others will learn from this and carry it forward still. Yeah, beautiful. The the and and the, I love the website, just the simplicity, the the the, the metaphor and the analogy in, in the title. Erickson-Rossi.com. And so, Catherine, maybe just uh, from the Rossi point of view or perspective. The Rossi or point of view, well, um, Roxana spoke so eloquently, and many of the principles of Erickson are also the principle of Ernest and the principle of me. And, um, and it's to have the ability to live in the present moment that there's so much to look forward to as a therapist when you can be in the present moment and you can respond to the person that's in front of you and to welcome inner resources you didn't even know you had in your unconscious to be able to carry a therapy farther. And ultimately, the joy of working with people is when they discover it for themselves. And that the techniques that that um, Erickson brought forward, the techniques that Ernest has brought forward and that you continue, Richard, is is to be able to awaken that which was which is within the person. I think of myself as just like a little coach on the side that is really sensitive, but that you, the client, you know the answers. My job is to help you to see if we can find that on new levels. That's fantastic. Thank you so much, Catherine and Roxana. I think this has been a wonderful introduction. I'm really keen to do more, maybe get into a, into some particular volumes, but I think that's uh, that's a great introduction for now. And I just thank you so much uh, for coming on to the Science of Psychotherapy podcast and gracing us with your presence today. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, a real an honor to be here. Thank you very, very much. 
Well, mate, mate, that, that was even more fun yeah. and more interesting than yeah. than I was even expecting. And I know these ladies really well, so yeah. uh, th- they've yeah. got some stuff. So it was great. And, and thank you for coming in and and just sort of uh, being that that uh, naively curious person. That <laughs> there is such a great heritage there, isn't there? From from Ericsson um, through to Rossi, and then and now the three of you talking, you've all added you know, layers on top as well. And so extremely valuable library there. Let's get them back and we'll go through some some of the volumes. You know, specifically, we can drill down because we, we, we've kind of like just introduced the whole thing um, today, but love to get into the nitty gritty. Um, yeah, dr- drilling down through a case and doing what uh, yeah. uh, Roxana says. First of all, looking at the surprise and the 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 the, the 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 difficulty of understanding exactly where he's going, then spending a little bit of time and going, oh no, it was really obvious. It was really clear. And this is what I found as as I I studied studied through yeah. the books, sort of. Uh, so so it's a wonderful wonderful process. But we, don't forget us. In the uh, remember these podcasts are also, but they're both listened to, but also on our YouTube channel. So right. you get uh, the 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 video version of the podcast. And if you go in. You'll also find we're making little clips um, with with uh, great takeaway points. Matt's just mm. been working really hard on this, and I congratulate you on that. It's a, it's a massive effort. So if you do enjoy what we're doing here at the Science of Psychotherapy, you can support us by well jumping onto our YouTube channel and become a subscriber, but also come across to our Academy site as well, and that's the scienceofpsychotherapy.net, and you can become a subscriber there and have access to our uh, huge library of uh, material that we have there. We've been publishing since 2013, and uh, as I always say, we've got more than you can poke a stick at. So. That's right. And so get a good stick and come down and see us. Uh, and you won't be able to poke at all. But th- thank you so much for being uh, with us on this 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 uh, really special uh, podcast to me because uh, of these uh, lovely women uh, that, uh, that I care for so much. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us here on the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. And we'll catch you next time. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. For more great science, go to thescienceofpsychotherapy.com.